Hey, Church Online, thanks for joining us. You know, after church last week on Sunday, Janelle came up to me and she was like, hey, you need to come home because there is a huge box blocking the front door and it's too big for me to lift. And and, and I'm thinking in my head, wait, what the heck is this? I, I don't remember ordering anything like that. And so I get home and there is indeed a large box that's blocking the door. The box is about like four feet or maybe even five feet by five feet. And I can already tell this box is not fitting through the door. And it, it, I mean, it was huge. And, I, and so I walk around the side of it and it says Lazy Boy. And come to find out someone at church had bought me a brand new recliner for Christmas. And I didn't even realize how nice this chair was until I took a nap on it. You know, on Tuesday, which is usually my day off, I sat down and I activated the reclining mode. And as my friend Vin likes to say in, in using the, the words of the Apostle Paul, I was transported into the third heaven. I didn't even know that a piece of furniture could help me experience God in a greater way like that. And, and maybe that's because I've never really owned any nice furniture one no, for two reasons number one I've always been broke. And, and number two, I have three boys and two dogs, so it is not wise to buy anything nice in this season of life. But my last recliner was from Bob's. And hey, I'm not hating on Bob's. Uh, most of the furniture that I own is from Bob's Discount Furniture, and it's nice, but it's exactly what Bob says it is. It's discount furniture. And some of y'all have been to my life group and, ha and have experienced that if you sit wrong on my couch, you could fracture your tailbone because it's cheaply made. And for my previously uh, previous recliner, uh, I not only got it from Bob's, but I went to the back of Bob's. I went into the Bob's outlet. And so this is where you get the already discounted furniture on clearance because there is something wrong with it. And I had purchased kind of like a lopsided recliner. And so whenever I would lay, it, it, uh, sit in my recliner and I would watch TV, I would have to tilt my head in the opposite direction to kind of compensate for the lopsidedness. And, and when you activated the reclining mode, it would make the spring sound like it would go and, and, and like one time a spring actually flew out when I reclined. Anyways, I never owned a, a, a lazy boy recliner. And, and, and I, I know that that was not an inexpensive gift. And though it's, it's Christmas time, I don't deserve this unexpected gift. And actually, speaking of Christmas, I wonder how many of us realize that no one deserves anything for Christmas. Over the next two services, this one and then our actual Christmas service, I want to do a short Christmas sermon series that's titled The Unexpected Gift. And if you've been at the River Church for any amount of time, uh, you know that I typically don't do a kind of traditional christmas theme sermon. If you will, I like to do unexpected things during Christmas. And for this series, I'd like to spend some time in Ephesians chapter 2, not a, not a typical Christmas passage, to help us think about Christmas. And for the first part of this series, I'd like for us to consider this statement. None of us deserve anything for Christmas. Now, that sounds kind of harsh, but some of us parents understand this, at least in concept. You know, despite the influence of Santa's naughty and nice list on our Christmas culture, most of us don't give gifts to people because they deserve it. 
Now, some of our kids may have this inappropriate expectation of getting a gift, but the reality is, is that we don't give them gifts because they deserve it. Christmas is not this moral obligation for us to give other people gifts, nor should we expect gifts from other people. Christmas is about something greater, but that greater meaning does involve a gift, and we'll get to that in just a bit. Now, for me to properly teach about the greater meaning of Christmas, we need to spend some time understanding the statement, none of us deserve anything for Christmas. Again, we don't typically give Christmas gifts because people deserve them, but let's just go with that for a moment, especially since many of us, even Christians, we, we kind of think about things through a naughty and nice list. And so, kids, I'm sorry to tell you, you don't deserve anything for Christmas. And I I, I don't deserve anything, even that lazy boy recliner for Christmas. And, and I'm a pastor. And so why do I say this? Because for us to truly understand Christmas, we must start by understanding that none of us are on the nice list. In fact, from birth, our name has been written with a heavenly sharpie on the naughty list. And even Santa's magic can't erase that. I know this because God's eternal and perfect word says it. It says in Ephesians chapter 2, where Paul is speaking about our identity, about who we are at the soul level. He says, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Remember when you were younger and you'd do something wrong and maybe one of your siblings would say, ooh, mom is going to kill you for that. Or, ooh, you're dead when dad gets home. That's kind of like what Paul is saying here. He's saying, hey, because of your sins, all the times that you've broken God's law, all the times where you have rebelled, rejected, and ignored God, all the times where you've hurt other people who are made in God's image and people who God loves, because of all of those sins, ooh, ooh, God's going to kill you. You're, you're going to be in trouble. You're dead. It's kind of like Paul's saying here, you're in trouble. but it's infinitely greater. You know, my mom is here right now in Connecticut visiting for Christmas. And as a single mom raising two boys, she had to be strict to keep us in line. And she was scary. I, I think it, it, I still flinch when she lifts her hand towards me. I'm like, Ugh. you know, and my mom's favorite Bible verse, at least that's what I think it is growing up was those who spare the rod of discipline, hate their children, but those who love their children care enough to discipline them. Like, I think that was her favorite verse, but as scary as my my mom was. God, the Holy One of Heaven, is scarier. His eternal wrath against sin is infinitely more intense than my mom. And when Paul says we're dead, he's saying we're dead as in, ooh, you're in trouble. But he's also saying we're dead as in doomed. He's reminding us that there is a very real future judgment where God will gather all the people before his throne and judge them. We read about it in the book of Revelation where it says, And I saw a great white throne and the one sitting on it. The earth and the sky fled from his presence, but they found no place to hide. I saw the dead 
both great and small, standing before God's throne. And the books were open, including the book of life. And the dead were judged according to what they had done, as recorded in the books. And then going on to verse 15, it says, And anyone whose name was not found recorded in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. That's scary. God's judgment is scary. Now, you might be thinking, wait, 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 wait. I'm, I'm a good person, though. I've done tons of good things in my life. Like right now, I'm watching church online. That's a good thing, right? And I know I'm not perfect, but I'm pretty confident that my good works outweigh my bad works. And if Santa had a naughty and nice list, I, I think I would make the nice list. And therefore, I'd probably be on God's list, good, at least his good list, too. And so let's talk about that for a second. Two things. Number one. While Santa's pretend naughty and nice list might work that way, where your good works can outweigh your bad works, that's not reality. God's justice doesn't work that way. And honestly, I don't think we want it to. I mean, do we want that kind of justice for criminals where a criminal could say, oh, I, I only murdered that person one time, but I let everybody else live? No, yeah, your good works don't erase the severity of your sins, especially when it comes to God's holy judgment. Now, number two, we might actually be giving ourselves too much credit when it comes to whether or not we're on the good list based on our good works and whether those good works outweigh our bad works. And so I want to do a little, a, a little test, a little group test right now. And so we're going to do this test using God's law or the Ten Commandments. And the reason we're going to do that is because Psalm 19 says, the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. In other words, the Ten Commandments, they can help us understand if we're on God's naughty or nice list. And so let's start with an easy one. Exodus 20 verse 16 says, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Now, I know I can't see your hands, but by a show of hands, how many of you have ever lied? If right now you are not raising your hand, even though I cannot see you, you are lying. Okay. You don't have to raise your hand on the next one, but the seventh commandment says this, you shall not, not commit adultery. Now, some of you are like, hey, I'm good with that one, but hold on before your confidence gets the best of you. Because Jesus clarified this commandment for us, and he said, you have heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Uh-oh. You know, even if we were I mean, if we were doing hand raising, it would be visible that we're all in trouble if that's what is really meant by here. How about the fourth commandment? Exodus 20, verse 8 says, Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. You know, at the River Church, we have talked a lot about Sabbath rest, but some of y'all forgot that that's actually a commandment from God that we're talking about. And when we ignore this command to rest, we sin. All right, that's only three out of 10. How are we doing? I'm pretty sure we're all in trouble. We're all dead. I'm pretty sure none of us deserve anything for Christmas. And Paul makes that abundantly clear in what he goes on to write in Ephesians 2, which says, again, you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. 
We're all on the naughty list because whether we realize it or not, there's only two ways to live. Number one, you can follow Jesus, or number two, you can follow Satan. Because that's actually what's happening, even if we don't intentionally say, hey, I'm choosing to follow Satan. When you just go along with the culture, the course of this world, what you're actually doing is following the devil because he's the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in this world. And all of a sudden, the fact that we're not good, nor do we deserve anything for Christmas, has just become real. We're all in trouble. We're all doomed. We're all dead. And that's why Paul says in verse 3, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Let me ask, is, is this message filling you with Christmas cheer yet? But here's the thing. Though all of this bad news may feel foreign to our personal views of Christmas, if we pause and think about it, it's actually not foreign to even all the best Christmas stories. Like, for example, the wealthy Scrooge must first understand how bad he is before he can fully appreciate Christmas. Charlie Brown must first get sick of how bad the commercialization of Christmas has become before Linus helps him understand what Christmas is all about. And then the bad, work-obsessed dad must first realize the errors of his ways before he understands the true meaning of Christmas as the new Santa. And the bad news certainly wasn't foreign to the first Christmas, because look at what Luke writes in chapter 2. He says, at that time, the Roman Emperor Augustus decreed that a census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire. This was the first census uh, taken when Quirinius was governor of Syria. All returned to their own ancestral towns to, the re to register for this census. And because jo Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem and Judea, David's ancient home. And he traveled there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee. And he took with him Mary, to whom he was engaged, who was now expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for her baby to be born. She gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no lodging available for them. That night, there were shepherds staying in the, field, in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified. Now, before I start, I, I, I know that I always talk about this story during Christmas. So for our River Church family who, has, who have heard me preach before on Christmas, I apologize. But honestly, the reason I do that is because it's my favorite part of the Christmas story. But let me ask, why were the shepherds afraid? Well, one answer is because angelica beings just appeared out of nowhere at night. We'd be scared. I know I would be scared because I'm scared of the dark. But just imagine you're just minding your business, counting sheep, when all of a sudden they just appear and wings spread out and feathers getting everywhere. And we'd be like, ah, hey, hey, you know, like back up. We'd be, we'd be scared. But there's actually a more theologically accurate reason. At that time, shepherds weren't good dudes. 
Being a shepherd wasn't like when King David was a shepherd. In the first century, being a shepherd was a job that only the lowest of lows, lowest of lows did. It was like the prison release program. Therefore, when the angel of the Lord showed up, they were likely afraid because they thought, hey, I'm a bad dude. God's justice has finally caught up with me. The angel of the Lord is here to execute judgment. I'm dead. In this first Christmas story, the shepherds fully understood that they deserved nothing. And bad news is part of the Christmas story. It's required for us to understand what Christmas is all about. And hopefully by now, you understand the truth about the bad news. You understand that none of us deserve anything for Christmas. But here's the beauty of the greater meaning of Christmas. The beauty of the gospel, the beauty of the message of the Bible, the beauty of the message of our Christian faith. What's beautiful about our message is it doesn't stop at the bad news. It doesn't stop with we're dead. Because after Paul gives the bad news in Ephesians 2, he also says this. He says, we were dead and by nature, nature children of wrath. We were doomed to be judged. But then in verse 4, he says, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. And in the Christmas story, that didn't stop with bad news that, uh, 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 of the shepherds. Because after the angels appeared and they were filled with great fear because of the, the, because of the bad news, verse 10 says, And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. That's good news. And that's the beauty of Christmas. It doesn't hide the bad news, but it also doesn't stop at the bad news because there's good news of great joy coming that will be for all people, including us today. And so as we close, I'm actually going to try something different today. As we discussed the truth that we deserve nothing for Christmas because by nature we're all on the eternal naughty list because of our sins. But yet, the story doesn't end there because we have found out that good news is coming. However, what, what, what I'm going to tell you is this. That's exactly where we're going to pick up next week at our Christmas service. Now, I know for some of you, you're like, wait, wait, you can't stop there. You may not be a fan of me just leaving you or leaving people hanging, especially when it comes to presenting the gospel. But here's a few reasons why I've chosen to do this today. Number one, I heard uh, Andy Stanley, who's a pastor down in Atlanta, I heard him say on a podcast recently, uh, and it was a good reminder for me, that while pastors and preachers have many responsibilities and serious responsibilities in the kingdom of God, one of them is not saving your soul. I, I don't have the ability to do that. Only God can do that. Now, do I play a part in that? Maybe if God chooses to use my words or my life in partnership with what he's doing. But the truth is God alone saves. The transformation of hearts, the saving of souls is a supernatural work. A work that if God wants to accomplish it in your life, it does not depend on me fitting everything I can into today's message. Now, is, is tomorrow a promise? No. 
Is there an urgency that we should have regarding bringing the gospel and, and, and salvation, uh, uh, the, the message of salvation to people? Is there an urgency regarding that? Absolutely. That being said, the scriptures are clear. It's the Holy Spirit's job to convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Therefore, I, I'm fully confident that if God wants to do something in your life today, he will. And I'll throw this out here too. If you believe that as you're listening to this, God is stirring in your heart. If you realize that you're on God's naughty list and you can't wait till next week, like you got to do something about it today. You got to get right with God today. Message me and we can have a conversation. That being said, I also want you guys to, to come back next week and, and hear the, the rest of the Christmas story. Come hear the good news about that unexpected gift that is coming, because that is what Christmas is all about. That's the, the greater meaning of Christmas. You know, the prophet Isaiah said, for unto us a child is born, to, to us a son is given. Christmas is about the fact that although we deserve nothing, God has gifted us his son, Jesus, the greatest gift. He has gifted us everything. And I'll give you a little sneak peek into next week, only because we read about it in Ephesians chapter two. God does not give us this gift because we deserve it. He gives it to us because he loves us. In the same way that most of us will exchange gifts uh, with, with people this Christmas, not because they deserve it, but because we love them. But again, we will pick that up next time, next week. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. God, we thank you for your truth, Lord. We thank you for the ways that you choose to accomplish things. And we thank you that your, your gospel, your good news... Uh, does not require us to ignore or to hide the fact that there is bad news, to hide the fact that we are in trouble, to hide the fact that we are sinners who need to be saved, uh, the, to hide the fact that we deserve nothing, Lord. But we do thank you that the story does not end there, that you were not content to leave us in our sins. You were not content to, to leave us dead in our sins and trespasses. But God, you, because of the love that you have, you wanted to give us a gift, Lord. And so, God, if there's a work that needs to happen in our life right now, God, do that work. We, 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 we turn from our sin and we turn towards you and we say, hey, save us, Lord. And then give us the faith and the courage to make the right steps, to reach out to someone, to send a message saying, hey, I decided to follow Jesus today and I need someone to help me figure out how to do that. Lord, if that needs to happen today, uh, please, please do that work. But, it, but God, we also ask that if, if, if this, this waiting until next time is part of the process for us to fully understand the greater, greater meaning of Christmas, that God, you would preserve our lives, that you would allow us to have a, 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 a desire, a prioritization of, of coming next time and hearing the Christmas message so we could hear the rest of the story. God, and so we submit all of these things into your hands, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, thanks for joining us for Church Online. If this was your first time joining us, fill out a Connect card. We would love to say hi and even send you a gift. 
Also, if you have any prayer requests, would like to know more about the River Church, maybe you would like to actually join us in person for our Christmas service, which will be on Friday, December 23rd, 7 p.m. at the Riverfront Community Center in Glastonbury. Or maybe you have decided to follow Jesus today. You can't wait till next week. You're ready to do it today. If that's the case, we want to hear from you. And there's an easy way to do that on our website, riverchurchct.com. Or you can follow the links below if you're watching on Facebook or YouTube. Or you can text the keyword TRC Connect to 94000. God bless you guys. Merry Christmas. Hope to see you next week. Bye.